I'm Anna Basovich, and this is The Schema. In this episode, we're going to explore new approaches to population health, expand the definition of whole person care, and dig into the role of a patient as a consumer. Today, we're speaking with Elise Cole Grant, the Chief Information Officer at IMSNY. Elise, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your role and the work that you do. Sure. So I'm a Chief Information Officer at IMSNY, where we are a managed service organization that represents two large behavioral health networks. And within those behavioral health networks, there's about 80 agencies that offer uh, mental health and community-based services like housing, food pantries, clinics, substance use treatment. And we provide services to approximately 160,000 Medicaid patients. So I oversee the data analytics for them. That is really interesting. How did you get into this line of work? So I accidentally fell into healthcare, and I think that some personal life experiences really drove me into behavioral health. So when I was a teenager and I grew up in Berkeley, California, I had a friend named Melissa, and I noticed that she would sometimes go into these dark places and shut all of her friends out, and it would go up and down. Um, I then went away to college, and a week before I came back, my mom called me up and said, hey, I just saw Melissa walking down the street, and she was screaming at herself. And immediately I had goosebumps, because I knew something was wrong. And as soon as I got back to Berkeley, um, I was visiting her in an inpatient unit, and she had been diagnosed with schizophrenia at age 18. That's so difficult. Yeah, it was my first experience with that, and I knew something was off. I couldn't really put my finger on it. So, you know, fast forward when I was looking into different industries to go into, mm -hmm. I had some technology experience, but I knew I wanted to make an impact, and I knew I wanted to do something positive and something meaningful. And just from knowing Melissa and being so close to her, it really pulled me into that behavioral health realm. I find it so interesting that you bring the technology into behavioral health because it's a relatively nascent field. And the tech infrastructure in behavioral health is so far behind even the rest of healthcare, let alone other industries. Why is that? So let me take you back a little bit, is behavioral health agencies were never included in meaningful use. Right. Now, what that means is they were never provided any financial resources to really adopt um, systems, much less even follow some sort of standardized workflow. So for years, the behavioral health agencies have been struggling to even use an electronic system, and then also struggling to actually input data in a standardized way, which really left us in um, several data silos mm -hmm. and really, there's no universal language in behavioral health. We're now starting to approach it in a different way and figuring out how to standardize data. But um, it's, been, it's been a huge barrier because it's not until recently that behavioral health agencies have even had the financial resources or support to adopt ONC certified EHRs. What's the impact of that? Why is it so important? It's important when you go back to thinking about data standardizations and when we think about analytics, analytics are only as good as the data behind it, mm -hmm. right? And each piece of data, each 
piece of data that follows a patient, there's a story associated to that patient. And we use analytics to try to decipher and read these stories of each patient. Now, how can we follow the patient's journey and really understand the story behind each patient if the data is so messy and unstructured and unstandardized and behavioral health agencies are calling their services something different mm -hmm. and there's no like universal language. So a lot of times we just get kind of fragmented views of our patients, which is unfortunate because these are the patients that really need intense care. It's so interesting that you bring this up because in a lot of ways, those of us uh, not in behavioral health don't always think about it as having some of the same structure, the same data. We think of it as conversations and therapy mm -hmm. and life stories and so on more than lab results and LOINC codes and some of the things we see on the other side of healthcare data. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it and I'll just add sort of a call out is a lot of the important information lives in the case notes and that's all unstructured field. And our behavioral health agencies, you'd be surprised, most of them aren't even using their calendars to set an appointment. They, it lives in the, no, it's crazy. I mean, I'm like, wait, how do you, you know, it, it drives me nuts because I, you know, before I came here, I had a nail appointment mm -hmm. and I received three text messages <laughs> to come to my nail appointment. And I was still late. So imagine someone who is suffering mm -hmm. from severe mental right. illness and is maybe suffering from anxiety and afraid to leave their house mm -hmm. and they have no push or incentive or not even a text message reminder to come to an appointment because there's no like existing calendar appointment. It lives in Excel or it lives in a case note. And then besides their appointment, their diagnosis lives in their case note. Mm -hmm. The medication lives in their right. case note. And we just, we have to get better at pulling this information out if we're really going to be able to help the patient through their journey of care. It's a great point, and it's such a stark contrast to what we see in much of the rest in healthcare. Yeah. And you made a comment just a couple minutes ago about silos. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting for me because we have the separation, really near complete separation of physical medical care and behavioral health, but there's also a lot of silos within behavioral health in terms of how different types of conditions are treated and the supports that patients receive. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the barriers to greater integration across sure. all of those divides? I think that the barriers live in maybe three categories. There's legal, technical, and clinical. So there's different clinical procedures and different interventions that you provide patients or consumers depending on what their diagnosis are, what their needs are. And those interventions are then captured in different instances or in different systems and that creates a data silo. Mm -hmm. When I say legal, every state has their own legal process. Yeah. New York State, uh, as progressive as we are, we are very, very stringent when it comes to mm -hmm. HIPAA and 42 CFR and consenting clients. I mean, we did a survey. Patients sign, on average, seven consents. Seven consents to receive a service. I mean, at what point does a patient not know what they're signing, right? right? And that creates data silos. Um, and what was the other one, did I say? 
uh, technical mm -hmm. is a lot of the behavioral health agencies are using different systems and they're using different EHR systems. They're using different care management systems and referral systems. And as helpful and useful those systems are at the point of care, because again, not all systems have to go through that ONC certified process is it creates data silos because there's no standardized text field that allows you to merge all of those data together. So it's we're at a point where I think we're recognizing the problem and I think that's the first step. And now it's like we have to kind of rewind and go backwards and unpack all these right. pieces of data to try to make sense of it and kind of create our own universal language. So Let's talk about what it looks like for us to move beyond these barriers. As we think about the broader vision here and kind of the city on a hill, what does whole person care look like? So whole person care, I mean, you, you hear a lot about integrated care delivery models, and we talk a lot about it, but it's time that we really start digging in and doing the work. Uh, there's some technical things we need to fix, but a lot of this is more on the operations and the clinical workflows that we have. You know, one thing that a lot of people are surprised when I say this is actually we have to increase spending on the behavioral health side in order to decrease spending on the medical mm -hmm. side. And I think the thought of increasing anything um, <laughs> puts people on the edge of their seat, not in a good way, but the medical costs are more expensive than the behavioral mm -hmm. health costs. So I think that we need to kind of start recognizing that let's put more effort, let's put more um, financial resources on the behavioral health side so that way we can greater impact the medical health side and reduce utilization in the medical side. Now, what I would say from the technical end is historically attribution was on the PCP side of things. Mm -hmm. Well, our patients, my patients, they're not seeing their PCPs. They're worried about, are they gonna have a roof over their head tonight? Mm -hmm. So they're seeing their case managers. They're seeing the individuals that are helping them with benefit resources. And our providers have pretty high touch rates with our clients, with our mm -hmm. patients. And so if we can kind of shift and start to feel more comfortable of, let's give the attribution to behavioral health agencies that have a high touch rate with their clients, then I think we can start opening the doors and looking at financial incentives and financial models that make sense to help lower the medical costs by increasing the resources on the behavioral health side. I'm so glad that you brought up primary care there because as you were talking, I was just thinking through that kind of seesaw of spending is something that transformation into value-based care has also brought to the forefront. The fact that you have to invest more in primary mm -hmm. care and radically raise the utilization there mm -hmm. in order to see these avoidable admissions, ED visits, et cetera, start to decrease. So it makes a lot of sense that for patients that have a far more fundamental need below that, that's got to get addressed before you can engage the PCP meaningfully, before you can talk about all the other types of spending that can be controlled. See, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you also mentioned payment models. And obviously, that was a huge driver mm -hmm. in starting to shift care towards the primary care side. What should we expect to see around, around payment models and around other approaches 
that can start to lead to those greater investments in behavioral health. So behavioral health agencies aren't necessarily, I don't think, ready to take on risk just yet. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where we're going and that's where we need to go. But right now, we say that a lot of health systems are doing value-based payment. I don't know a lot of behavioral <laughs> health agencies that are actually included in that, which is kind of mind-blowing, especially now with the new awareness that behavioral health is behavioral health factors and social determinants of health factors are severely impacting um, the medical health of individuals and mm -hmm. bringing up the cost. So I really think that in the next five years or so, we're going to see a greater sense of like incorporating behavioral health agencies into those value-based payment mm -hmm. models. I know that's what we're preparing our agencies for. And, you know, I think of the quote is oftentimes we underestimate what's going to happen in five years and overestimate what's going to happen in one year. And so mm -hmm. I really think we're going to see substantial change in the next five years. And we're going to be in a different place of, you know, healthcare and how we actually deliver care. So as you think about the change that we can look forward to over that longer time span, that five to 10 year window, what do behavioral health agencies need? And, you know, particularly as a CIO, what are the types of tools that are going to be necessary to support that transformation? So behavioral health agencies, I don't want to just say we need money, like show me the money, <laughs> which is what we need. But, but we um, do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, is we definitely need resources on the financial end. We um, need partnerships and need to be valued in those partnerships as when I say that, I mean being a thought leader at the committee meetings and the board meetings. Mm -hmm. Because again, we're the ones who are dealing with a severely complicated, complex population. And so we need to be at the table with those health centers, with those primary care providers, with the hospitals that are the ones that are really getting these contracts and um, receiving like the high reimbursement rates and be at the table to create a collaborative care model that really works. Now, what we've seen has been successful is when behavioral health providers are in the same building as you know a hospital or as a primary care. But that's not always possible, right? And especially nowadays, I think, like I said, in five years from now, we're gonna be looking mm -hmm. at telehealth. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. it's already booming. And I think that's probably going to be the primary way we're receiving care. Now, that helps our patient population a lot because one of the biggest barriers to care is transportation mm -hmm. for our population. And so to be able to meet a patient where they're at and provide care in their home where they feel comfortable is a huge breakthrough for us, for behavioral health providers, because um, we then kind of already break down some of those barriers and we can meet the patients where they're at. Mm -hmm. So as we think about that transformation, as a CIO, what kinds of tools and technologies do you think behavioral health agencies are going to need in order to succeed in that process? 
So behavioral health agencies have done a lot with the very little resources we have. Mm -hmm. um, I think that agencies, all agencies need to be on an ONC certified EHR. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those EHRs need to be able to build out their functionality so patients can receive simple things like text message reminders, mm -hmm. are able to book appointments online, because right now they can't, yeah. which is absurd. And then one level above that is we need to work better with our state health information exchanges to be able to capture those uh, SDOH data elements and behavioral health data elements and make sure that they're available to the medical community and vice versa, that that medical information is available to um, the behavioral health. Agency. So I think we need to see um, an increase of interoperability mm -hmm. um, between states. And I guess from a technology perspective is we need to see better population health management tools on the behavioral health side. Now we're working with Arcadia on that and we've made significant strides yeah. towards incorporating behavioral health in like their risk score and other things. But I think that we still have a long ways to go and I'm excited to partner with Arcadia mm -hmm. to like have us do that journey together because it doesn't really exist. It, I mean, it doesn't, it's, yeah, it doesn't really exist right yeah. now. One other thing I would say is we are going to see an influx of applications mm -hmm. that patients are using so that way they can begin to manage their own health care. And we'll have to figure out a technical infrastructure to support the data coming from those applications. Yeah. There's a lot that you've said there that really resonates equally, I think, between behavioral health and traditional medical care. And the first one that stood out for me is social determinants of health, which has been such a big buzzword. But what's interesting to me about that is the opportunity to meet the patient on their terms and with full awareness mm -hmm. of the true barriers to receiving care. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think about there is the transition of how we in the medical community view a patient uh, now less as a customer of individual transactions and more as a consumer who we think about really through the life cycle what their experience looks like. I'm really glad you brought this up because I actually did a presentation at HIMSS where I talked about that there are three mm -hmm. stakeholders here, the customer, the end user and the consumer. Now the customer has that financial transaction and the end user is the one who's using the product and the consumer is the one who's consuming the product, who is receiving the experience, right? And in the Medicaid market, the Medicaid market's a little different because your customers aren't your consumers and your consumers aren't always your end users. And I'll mm -hmm. give you an example. Your customer would be, the CFO from a hospital, mm -hmm. right? They're the ones who are purchasing the product. An end user would be a nurse that's working in the hospital, mm -hmm. that's actually using the product, that is maybe adding data into it, running reports. The consumer is the one who is experiencing the product, right. right? Whether it's through a patient portal, whether it's through the workflows of being, you know, face to face with the nurse that they're seeing or the doctor that they're seeing. And so when we start treating consumers, um, patients as consumers, we're actually opening it 
it up so that way they can be in better control of their care. That way we can ask for feedback and say, hey, how does this experience feel? Is this working for you? And that alone encourages patients to act as a consumer and say, hey, I like this, this is working for me, and feel more empowered to manage their own care. And I think that's where we're striving to be, is that the consumer can start to manage their own care and they feel empowered and then they can be more involved in their care because at the end of the day, you can't make anyone come to mm -hmm. their appointment. But if they feel responsible to come to the appointment, the services are no longer being done to them, they're being done with them. I love that concept of agency and ownership in the outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's really important, and I think, unfortunately, the population that suffers from severe mental illness has been overlooked mm -hmm. for quite some time. But now folks recognize that when you look at the 80-20 rule, we are the 20-80. We're the 20% of the population mm -hmm. that is taking up 80% of the healthcare costs. So we have to start looking at it from almost like in a consumerized way. If you look at Airbnb when they first launched, they went to every one of their customers and mm -hmm. asked them what their experience was yeah. and why they used Airbnb and what features did they like. If we started doing that with our patients, can you imagine the positive outcomes that would come out of that just with patients being able to engage more effectively in their own care? I, I think that we are starting that journey and I'm really excited to be in health IT to kind of see this journey unfold. It's so interesting because, you know, I think what you described is sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy where we see patients with serial mental illness mm -hmm. not taking the reins and not taking yeah. ownership on their own care so we don't look to engage them in the same way. And we don't think through the way that that impacts really their ability to get engaged in their outcomes. Yeah. And it's complicated, right? I mean, mm -hmm. these folks are already hard to reach. Uh, so I understand it's an extra step in a provider's workflow. But you know, just to kind of give you a sense that the Medicaid market, it's a different market. Right. And depending on what side of the fence you're on, it's a huge payer or a huge customer because Medicaid, about one in every five Americans are on Medicaid. And that equates mm -hmm. to about one out of every $6 in healthcare that's spent um, is spent on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And so that's huge. That's a huge market. And so if we figure out how to better engage that market like we do in every other market and their customers and recognize, okay, these patients, they're not customers because they're not paying for a service because mm -hmm. Medicaid's paying for it. So I guess Medicaid is technically the customer, but that they're consumers. And if we treat them like that, then we can evolve with them and improve care and improve the technologies they use. And I see no other way to do that and not decrease the cost of care. So as a CIO, what are some examples of those technologies? What are the, some, some of the most promising patient-driven solutions that you're seeing? So the most promising patient-driven solutions. Well, I will say that there's been a huge boom in the industry with medical devices. When I say medical devices, consumer-facing devices. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, I think... This year alone, I think we are skyrocketing the um, venture capital investments that are going hmm. to these apps. 
right? So far, we've hit over $2 billion that's being invested in telehealth. So I, I can't ignore telehealth. I think telehealth is mm -hmm. a huge application. Um, patients are going to benefit greatly from telehealth. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of texting apps and in terms of emerging technologies, not necessarily applications, but I'm incredibly excited about natural language processing. Because hmm. like, let's go back to what we talked about, those unstructured notes, right? Mm -hmm. That is the heart <laughs> of the patient's story. Mm -hmm. So if we can invest in applications that where we can use natural language processing to help us standardize and create this universal language for behavioral health, then I really, really think that we're going to see a huge difference in the care we provide and the analytics we'll be able to pull. And when you talk about the universal language, what's the vision around that? Why is it so important? So it's important because in the medical side of things, it's I understand it's still not as standard as I'm making it seem, sure. but you have your billing codes, right? Behavioral health agencies, sure, we have some billing codes that enables us to standardize data to a certain extent, but a lot of behavioral health services and programs are grant-based, and those grants only last for a couple years. So they come and go. Deliverables change. Wow. Uh, the data that we capture changes. The measures that we're getting towards changes, right, every few years. So we need to kind of take a step back and say, all right, well, let's figure out a standardized set of data that we want to pull that means something, whether it's through an assessment, whether it's through case notes, and we layer on some NLP to make it more structured. Figure out some standardized forms so that way we can begin to speak the same language. And I guess that's what I mean by a universal language, that behavioral health providers can speak the same language because even though they're providing the same services, they're calling those services different things. They're calling their programs different names. So we have to have some sort of standardized taxonomy mm -hmm. in order to be able to measure our outcomes, because right now we're having a hard time measuring our outcomes because we don't have that taxonomy. And I'm not saying that we should force everyone to like, you know, fit into the same box, but we need to literally do a huge data dump, mm -hmm. look at all the services that are being performed, map them out, and then build a taxonomy from there. And I love that that brings us full circle because everyone's speaking the same language is what allows us to start to coordinate that care and bring yeah. it together. Yeah. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> and so. I'd love to. <laughs>